Well, good morning to you, Jesus' church gathered here at Heritage. I'm so glad that you joined us in worship this morning. Uh, during the first service, I sang a little bit too loud and um, was worried that my voice wasn't going to hold up. And I told myself, I'm not going to sing so loud in second service. But then again, Pastor Kevin and Jamie and the worship team, as they just led us into God's courts, I couldn't help but join with the angels in singing how awesome it is to hear all of your voices together raised in praise to our Savior. Well, I want to welcome you again, whether you are a member, whether you're a regular attender, or maybe this is your first time at Heritage. We are a local gathering of God's church, a people that are broken, but we have been blessed in Jesus so that we might be a blessing to the world. My name is Pastor Rob, and I have the opportunity to serve as Global Ministries Pastor alongside four other members of Heritage that are on the Global Ministries team, including Tyler, who is serving as a mobilizer here at Heritage. And I think some of you are probably wondering, what in the world does a mobilizer do? A mobilizer is one that helps our members discover God's heart for the nations, and then help them discover their part in that. The mobilizer also helps people to become equipped so that they can serve cross-culturally among the nations. And just before Pastor Nathan, our lead pastor, flew off with the group to Israel, to the Holy Land, he gave Tyler and I a charge. He said, give Heritage the state of world missions and talk about Heritage's part in it. That's a mighty big task. And um, I'm going to be completely honest with you. It's a bit impossible to do in a comprehensive manner in the short amount of time that we have this morning. But we hope to equip you with some key ideas that you can take away with us today. It was John Piper who famously declared that missions exists because worship doesn't. So... Before we even begin to look at God's word this morning, before we look at world missions, I think it's good for us to remind ourselves at where we stand this time in history. A place today where the holy creator of the world, the one that has made each and every one of us, the one that made the air that surrounds us, the one that made our lungs, that even as we breathe in that air, the one that designed it to feed ourselves, to allow us to move, to come here, the one that allowed that whole process so we could listen, so we could hear, so we could think this morning, that God, that God is not receiving the worship and the glory that is due him. And we do so well this morning to open up our Bibles, to look at what the Bible says about this God, what the Bible says about God's plan, what the Bible says about his mission to reconcile a people to himself. And from that foundation, 
Then we'll look at the realities of the world that we live in and our response to that. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your devices, go ahead and get them out. I will warn you this morning though, we are going to move through a whole lot of passages So we're going to do our best. We're going to put them up on the screen for them. But the reason I'm asking you to get out your Bibles, get your devices, because I would encourage you, we're going to move so fast through these that maybe you're going to miss some of the context, some of the full understanding. And so as we move through them, you can make a jot in your Bibles or on your device to go back and to check, Tyler and I, to check what we're saying. Is this really God's heart? Is this really his plan? Is this what he wants to accomplish Well, today, I've got my Bible up here too. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. Right at the very beginning of God's word, he lays out his plan. And he also records for us the very first words that he speaks to humankind. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It was God's plan for humankind, for both male and female to be reflections of him, reflections of his glory. And it was God's plan that these reflections of his glory would multiply, that they would fill the earth. And in doing so, they would fill the earth, his earth, with his glory. Well, as we continue in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God made everything and it was very good And he gave humankind all that they required. In fact, God gave humankind himself. And he was in perfect harmony with man. Yet humankind made a decision. They decided to go their own way, disobeying God's command and eating of the forbidden fruit. They gave in to the temptation to become like God, knowing both good and evil. And there was a consequence. There was a consequence of going their own way, of sinning. And that consequence was separation from God. Both immediate separation, but also eternal separation, ultimately resulting in death. It was just as God had warned Adam in Genesis 2. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall shall surely die. Our God makes promises. He keeps his promises. Humankind and creation suffered. And it suffers even today. And we see all around us the brokenness that results from being separated from our creator. Of knowing both good and evil. The realities of death that ravage our lives And they ravaged the world that we live in. We were defeated. Yet God, God was not lost. God was not defeated. God was not hopeless like humankind, trapped in the consequences of going our own way. 
God had a plan. And even in the midst of declaring the resulting curse of their disobedience, God promises to bring a deliverer. And again and again throughout history and throughout his word, we see that God is the initiator. He promises, even covenants with his people, the people that he created, the people that he loves. And as we continue in God's word, we're going to start to see the extent of God's promise. Jump over to Genesis chapter 6. And when we reach Genesis 6, we see that humankind did in fact begin to fill the earth just as God had purposed. But they didn't fill the earth as God purposed. They filled the earth with their brokenness. Rather than reflecting God's glory and his image, sin and wickedness filled the world. So in Genesis 9, God initiates a reset. He floods the earth. And then in chapter 9, he reasserts his command again to Noah and his sons. Multiply and fill the earth. We turn over and we see in Genesis chapter 11 that God's creation again finds itself pursuing their own glory, refusing to obey God's command to fill the earth. So God initiates. God brings a diversity to the people's language and now, now they disperse and they multiply and they, they, they go across the earth as he commanded. Then in Genesis chapter 12, we see this beautiful picture of God initiating. He steps into a man named Abram's life and he steps in with a promise, a covenant to bless Abram, to bless his descendants. And here we begin to learn the extent of God's promise. He says, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Blessed to be a blessing. And, and the blessing that God gives to Abraham is repeated to his descendants with Isaac. He says, in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then with Jacob, Isaac's offspring, God revisits the command that is from the very beginning. Be fruitful and multiply. By the time we reach Moses in Exodus chapter 19, God has affirmed his chosen people, intending that they would be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, representatives. Again, the purpose to reflect, to display God's glory. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? God gives his people his law. He equips them to be a holy nation. And in fact, God's people respond to him and they said, we have the desire, we, we want to follow and obey. But the reality turned out much different. At times, God's people would echo and display his glory. And they would understand it. In 1 Kings chapter 8, 60, we see Solomon testifying to this as he dedicates the temple and he knows God's purpose. He recognizes God's plan. That in all the peoples of the earth, 
I'm sorry, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. All peoples, all nations were to know. Yet, born in Adam's sin, broken, again and again, God's people fail to fulfill his law. Yet, God doesn't not call his people back to it. And we see again in, in the Psalms, we saw when, when Pastor Kevin wrote, read Psalm 86, we see in Psalms like Psalm 67, the psalmist writes, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. Why was God blessing his people? The psalmist continues, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Blessed to be a blessing that all nations might share the blessing of knowing God and worshiping him. Some 500 times throughout the Old Testament, there is a reference to the nations. God's heart has been and has always been and always will be for the nations to know him. The final book of the Old Testament, God speaks through his prophet Malachi. And he says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Not only does God take the role of initiator, inviting his people into his plan and purpose, when Adam's descendants fail again and again, God again initiates a new covenant. This time, the promise is in himself. A promise that cannot be broken. God is also incarnational. He takes on human form and becomes the perfect Adam in Jesus. Now Jesus enters his broken and needy world. And what do we see Jesus doing? The same thing that God has always been doing. We hear Jesus affirm God's desire for all nations, rebuking, even in the rebuke of his leaders, reminding them, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus left no, no questions when he declared the extent of his good news, his gospel. It was to be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Later in Matthew 28, Jesus invites his disciples into that plan to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus, when he's walking with two of his disciples, he opens up their minds to understand the scriptures, to understand the law and the prophets. This is what he helped them understand. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Now I hope you can feel this just absolute tidal wave of God's love for his world, for the nations. Jesus 
was and is the good news. Jesus, without sin, Jesus was able to bear our sins on the cross. He died in our place, but he didn't stay dead. He rose victorious over the grave. And Jesus now offers to anyone who would turn from their sin, anyone who would turn from going their own way and instead confess that sin, putting their trust in Jesus alone for forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And Jesus then makes those people part of his glory, filling the earth. Jesus was God's way to accomplish his plan, his salvation, his glory among the nations. And Jesus told us of his exclusivity in no uncertain terms. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yet Jesus did not intend for access to him to be limited to just the Jews. He was the only way to God, but not, the only, not only for the Jews. Jesus himself tells his followers, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And as he ascended to the Father in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon, me, upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus redeemed his people from the slavery to sin for a purpose. And as the New Testament unfolds and the Bible continues the story, we see that Jesus' disciples, the gathering of Christians, his bride, his church, walk in obedience. In fact, the Bible gives us a glimpse of what will be accomplished in the future. When we turn to Revelation chapter 5, when we turn to Revelation chapter 7, we see what will happen. The Bible declares, a people were redeemed from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And what are these people doing they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God is worthy of our worship, worship of all nations. In fact, he will be worshipped. God will be worshipped by all nations. Yet that day is not quite here yet. And so missions, world missions exists. Well, something that I love about what Pastor Rob just shared is that God's heart for all nations isn't just a New Testament idea or principle. But like he was showing us, whether we're in Genesis or the Psalmists or the Minor Prophets, all the way to Revelation, God loves all nations and desires for all peoples to praise him. It's been wonderful going together through the Bible with many of you. And in the group chat that I'm a part of, a common glimpse of God, whether we were talking about the Lord working in Pharaoh, in Exodus, or in Leviticus, 
God's purposes were, quote, so that they may know that I am the Lord. We continue to see God's heart in scripture in passages such as 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. After Paul exhorts Timothy to urgently pray for all people, he says, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who, and I want us to catch this, desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So what is our prayer this morning for this message? It's that the Lord would draw our hearts to become like his, that we too would earnestly desire for all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And we're not just going to share about that urgent need in other nations because there's an urgent need right here in Lynchburg, Virginia for gospel proclamation. Just in this last month, after hearing the gospel, I had two people respond and say, this is the first time I've ever heard the message of the gospel. There's an urgent need for gospel proclamation in Lynchburg and the United States, this reached nation. As Pastor Rob was showing us, the Lord just doesn't, doesn't just show us his heart. He shows us his plan for how those nations will come to him. And it's through you. It's through me. The Lord is going to reach the nations through us, through his bride, through his church. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, we all know that Jesus tells us to go, make disciples of all nations. Similarly, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says that his witnesses will reach the end of the earth. So it's going to happen through us, but it is not in our strength. And that's what I love about these two passages is in Matthew 28, when Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, and he says, I will be with you always. And in Acts 1, 8, when he makes that bold statement that the ends of the earth will be reached, he shows us at the beginning of that, that it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we are his plan, but he is the means that the nations will be reached. In his sermon on February 12th, Pastor Nathan was talking about the urgent need for the special revelation of the person and work of Jesus. And he says this, you cannot belong to Christ and not know it. You either belong to Christ or you do not. That is what scripture teaches. There are no secret unknown ways to heaven. The Christian gets to heaven and says, I know that face. I know that voice. You, Jesus, are my savior. Well, church, it really is our prayer this morning that our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors here in this reach nation would hear the gospel message and then would stand before Jesus and say, I know you and I have followed you. So there's an urgent need for gospel proclamation right here. And we also want to share with you the reality of other nations around the world. What we're going to do first is just define some terms that you may have heard before, but just to bring us all on the same page. And the first of those being an unreached people group. So an unreached or least reached people is a people group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this people group without outside assistance. So an unreached people group, simply put, has a very, very small percentage of people like them 
that are following Jesus. And there is a need for people to come from other people groups into their midst to proclaim his message and Lord willing, see his church expand. To this day, around 40% of the world's population is considered unreached. That is over 3 billion people. And I don't want to just say billion and then move on because I want us to really grasp how big that number is. And if I were to ask you, how many days are 1 million seconds? I want you to think about that. How many days are 1 million seconds? 1 million seconds is 11 days. Now to put billion next to million, how many days is 1 billion seconds? Over 31 years, 3 billion people on this planet are considered unreached. If we were to read every single one of their names and we read one name every second, it would take us 90 years to read all of their names. Isn't this heavy in light of what Pastor Rob was saying in John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the only way to the Father. There's 3.3 plus billion people who are born, live, and die, and there's a good chance that they have not heard the only message of hope that this world has in the person and work of Jesus. And a majority of these unreached people live in North Africa, the Middle East, Central Asia, South Asia, to East Asia. And that's referred to as the 1040 window, if you've ever heard that term. Another term that we want to define is a frontier people group. And a frontier people is an unreached people group with virtually no followers of Jesus and no known movements to Jesus still needing pioneer cross-cultural workers. So where an unreached people group has a small percentage of people like them following Jesus, a frontier people group has virtually zero followers among them. And just over two billion people are still considered frontier. That is one-fourth of the world population. There are tribal people groups who are frontier. There are Buddhist people groups who are frontier and non-religious as well. But the largest frontier people groups are represented by the Muslim and Hindu faith. So if you look at the picture up here, you'll see that the red circles represent these frontier Muslim people groups, the largest ones. The blue circles represent the Hindu frontier people groups. And it's one thing to just hear these statistics and think of how how many people we're talking about and see the map and, and see this big need. But it's another thing to just take, take a moment and take a step back and consider that these are real people. These aren't just numbers that we're talking about. They're living, breathing people that have hobbies, that have families, that, that laugh, that cry. And the Lord has allowed me to go to some of these places and see their faces and, and meet them and as I do that, it's one thing to just preach about the urgent need and the statistics, but it's another thing to know them. And I earnestly desire for them to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So Heritage, what will we do with this information? In Luke chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus says, Everyone to, him, to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And I would dare say this morning that the Lord has given us 
much. We have access to his word in several translations. We have commentaries as we study his word. Not only that, we have an abundance of wealth and resources and materials compared to other nations on this planet. But greater than that, we have access to this gospel message, to the only way to be reconciled to the Father and Jesus. I would say we've been given much. What will we do with the much that we've been entrusted with? And to ask, is there any greater cause than for these large frontier people groups to be reached with the gospel that is their only hope? God shows us his heart and his word. He shows us his plan. And he even shows us his response to this great need. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Church is God's response to this great need. It is his body. It is us, his followers, who will enter into these places and proclaim this good news. The greatest need for even the most impoverished places on the planet is for the church of God to be present because it's through his proclaimers that they will hear. There is a great and urgent need for immediate water in many locations in the world. And what our prayer is, is that followers of Jesus would go to these places, his church would expand, and Jesus' followers would give them this physical water, but then go beyond that and introduce them to the living water in whom their souls will never thirst again. So that is how God's responding. He will build his church. How can we respond? And Pastor Rob will elaborate on each of these points, but I wanted to bring these before you and ask you to write them down to be praying about as he continues to walk through this. Will you pray? Will you go? Will you strategically send? Will you welcome and or will you mobilize? Well, I know maybe, maybe I know what you're thinking. Oh man, here comes Pastor Rob, Global Ministries pastor. This is our response. And now is where he's going to tell me or ask me, are you going to go? I am so excited to see our possible responses to God's plan. If we're all in for God, if we're radical about our faith, we don't need to be trapped in the idea that the only response is going, going cross-culturally, that is. Oh, heritage, may our staying be no less radical than our going. We get to participate in God's mission. He has invited us into that mission. And I celebrate that God's church gathered here at Heritage for the last 45 years has been a people that hears God's word and listens. I think it might be helpful for us this morning just to take a moment to consider the difference between hearing and listening. Listen for a second or hear for a second the sound. Some of us hear that sound and we're like, oh yeah, that's some birds. Those are the jokers that wake me up every morning. But others of us are interested and we want, we want to listen again. Let's listen to that again. Again. 
Some of us hear that sound and we listen and we know that's not just any bird, that's a cardinal signal. And I know maybe some of you are like, oh, come on, birds? Like, really? Well, I've got another song, another sound for you. Perhaps maybe you can connect with a little better. Some of you hear this sound and you're like, oh, I know that sound. That's an engine. That's that jerk that just drives down my road every day. But others of you might hear that sound and you, you really want to listen. I think maybe Todd down there, he'd, he'd, he'd take another listen at that. Yeah, the ones that listen to that sound, they do more than just hear. They can hear that that engine has been tuned and maybe it sounds like an import engine. I can definitely hear the turbo offloading between the shifts though. They listen to the sound. See, there's a difference between hearing and listening. Listening values the speaker. Listening seeks to understand what is being said. Listening comes with a heart that is prepared. A heart that wants to move forward to, with what is heard in intentional action. And I praise God for 45 years, the church here at Heritage has been seeking to listen to God's commands. When Jesus says in Luke 10 2, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers. The church here has done just that from the leaders to harvest partners to Wednesday night gatherings to everywhere in between. God's people at Heritage have faithfully called out to our God to send out laborers into the harvest. Not only has Heritage been a body that prays, it's been one that listens to Jesus' command to go. Heritage, we have sought to proclaim God's good news right here in our Jerusalem, on our campuses, through things like Judgment House, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. But also, we have been a church that over our history have raised up 43 global workers from our own membership that would go cross-culturally with the gospel as global workers. And as servants, humble servants that have received God's grace in Jesus, we know that we are warring against the lies of Satan, against the flesh, against our own sin. And as we consider going cross-culturally as a global worker, we know that those people need to be equipped. They need to be prepared. They need to be supported. They should be like the sharpened tip of a spear, prepared for action. But you know, you can sharpen this tip as much as you want, but if it doesn't have a hardened head to support it, or a really stout collar that then connects it to the beam that is strong, and also the counterbalance that allows the spear to fly with perfection towards its target. That sharpened tip 
will not reach its target. It won't have the maximum impact that it needs to have. Heritage, we are a church that sends together. We are all needed in this process. And for the last 45 years, we have been a church that has committed its resources that have been entrusted to us, God's children, to corporately pursue his heart among the nations. We have been a church that have given sacrificially, given sacrificially so that we can send significantly. We have partnered together with sending teams and global care teams, praying for our workers, supporting them as they go. We have gone on short-term trips, seeing the work and being participants in it. We have been a church that has prayed We have been a church that has decorated our facilities with with pictures and artifacts from the nations, with flags hanging in the International Plaza. We have named the building, the rooms in our building after the countries of the world so that our hearts can be intentionally nurtured after God's heart. You know, missions runs a rather wide breadth. It is broad. It's everything from drilling wells to taking care of orphans, all in the name of Jesus. Missions also involves sending people that would support established churches, helping to nurture them to healthy places. Yet as Heritage has sought to increasingly understand God's heart for the world, and as we've considered the state of the world and missions, we are compelled by those realities. Three billion unreached. Three billion unreached. Yet our Savior promised to build his church. Come on, let's go church. Heritage has recognized that we have been blessed And we have a desire to focus our energies on proclaiming the gospel among those frontier people, among those unreached people. We want to focus on sending global workers who will be a part of catalyzing the formation of a church and allowing that to healthily reproduce into other churches. That's where we've been as a church But let's not stop. Let's continue forward. Let's be a people that know and love Jesus more. A people that hear God's word and listen to it, seeking to intentionally lean in. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you're not just a follower. You're a part of Jesus' family. Jesus has redeemed the image of God in man. And he has filled us with his spirit so that we can look like him, so we can act like him, so we can just like him take initiative. We can go and tell the good news of Jesus. We can step into the brokenness of our city, into our neighborhoods, into our workplace, into our schools, into the nations. We can be incarnational just like him, declaring hope and forgiveness in Jesus. We can be a people that pray. We can be a people that go. Oh, wow, we want our going here in Lynchburg to be the same kind of going that we do overseas. C.T. Studd said, The light that shines the farthest shines the brightest 
at home or nearest to home. Well, we want to be a people that send well. If you're not in a global care team, please join one. Support our global workers. If you haven't gone on a short-term trip, go on one. If you've been on a short-term trip, share about that experience. We want to support our global workers well. Thank you so much for the Christmas offering that helps provide the houses and the vehicles so that our global workers have, have a place to, to stay and, to, and, and vehicles to use when they're transitioning. We want to be a church that gives. Currently, Heritage has deployed 17 of our member families among the nations. We also partner with 15 other churches as they have sent out their global workers into the harvest. And it's not just token financial support. No, we support significantly. The kind of support that requires us as a church to be giving sacrificially. In fact... We've even taken opportunities to go above and beyond that. And this Easter, we're going to have another opportunity as some of our workers are looking to go to Southeast Asia. And we get to give to our Easter offering to help support for their outfit and passage. And we have been a church that also welcomes. I celebrate so much that when Afghanistan went through its tragic times and still goes through its tragic time and many fled that nation and some came to Virginia, our church were part of those that welcomed and loved and visited them on the fort out in Richmond. And then that wasn't enough. We raised a Christmas offering so that we could help three of those families resettle right here in Lynchburg. And the church continues even to this day to be a part of those families' lives, sharing Jesus with them, helping them to adapt to living here, being a part of an ESL ministry, which now expands to many nations. If you don't know about ESL, man, go to the hub and get connected today. Wow. And church, can I challenge you? Continue to mobilize one another towards the nations after God's heart. If you go to your DC and you're in some room and, whoa, this is Libya, don't just look at that sign, but pray together. Talk about what are the needs of Libya? Do they have the gospel? Do they have someone that's telling them about Jesus? Is that me? Is that you? Who will go? Stir one another up. Join a short-term team. Join a disciple-making team. Pray intentionally. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on back up here this morning. And we're going to take a few moments just to behold our God. Consider the one who created you. Be still in his presence and listen the one who pursued you while you were still headed towards destruction. Behold him. The one who loves the nations and the world and as astounding as it is, invites us to be a part of filling the earth with his glory. Maybe start out listening to this song, Beholding Our Savior. And as your heart rises in worship to that Savior, perhaps you want to stand and sing out as well. Perhaps you just want to call out an intercession for those three billion who don't yet have the opportunity to know the gospel 
and to worship him. Pastor Kevin.